going to do right now, we like to give out a, a few gifts to the fathers. We want to say thank you, fathers, for choosing to worship with us on, on this special day. I know uh, if you didn't notice out here in the foyer, we do have a gift for all the men in the house. We actually have um, some barbecue rub. Arr, yeah, all right. We get to go out and barbecue, so go out and grab you some barbecue rub. That's for you so you can cook out and have some fun today. At this time, I'm also going to do, we're going to do a couple questions real quick, and we're going to give out some gifts. They are $10 uh, gift cards to Spring Creek, so we're going to buy your meal at some point at Spring Creek. If you don't like barbecue, you can give it back to me. I love barbecue, all right? So you can just hand it right on back if you don't want to use it, all right? So I've got a couple of teen guys that are going to help me out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask for the father who was baptized the furthest away from Dallas-Fort Worth. All right, so start thinking about where you were baptized. Let's start off with, see, um, how many men, how many of you were I have to say men, because in the first service, I had ladies raising their hand on where they were baptized. So, and Miss Mary called me out on it, all right? So one of them called me out on it. So men, um, how many of you were baptized here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Would you raise your hand? All right, very good. Let's go somewhere in the state of Texas. You were baptized somewhere in the state of Texas. Raise your hand. All right, very good. Now, let's go to the states surrounding Texas. So that would be... New Mexico, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and whatever that other weird state is. I'm just kidding. That's Arkansas. I was just kidding. All right. It's whoever's from there. But it is true. You're weird. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> just kidding. All right. So here we go. Uh, if you were baptized, I know, that's, I've probably gotten several people mad at me on that one. Anyway, Arkansas, any of those surrounding states, if you were baptized in one of those, would you raise your hand? All right. Very good. How about, uh, let's go all the way out to, um, to the, the coast. If you were uh, baptized out on the, the coast, so either the east coast, west coast, or maybe up at the northern part of the United States. Would you raise your hand? All right, very good, very good. Now, just uh, we got to go a little bit further out. Let's go outside the country. You were baptized outside of the country. Anybody baptized outside of the country? Man, you guys are going to make it very difficult on me. I was hoping somebody, nobody, nobody, I'm making sure I don't see, nobody, nobody was baptized outside of the United States. What? Where's he at? Oh, he's on security. Well, he loses out. Tough luck. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Let's go. Uh, we're going to have to get out to kind of Google map. What's the furthest points from Dallas from in the United States? Do we have anybody? Let's see. Um, so we'd take out the top, the northern part, right? That would be out. It would have to be one of the coast. It would have to be on the coast. So let's go to the coast. Let's say uh, anybody up in the Seattle, Washington area, the Washington, the northern, north. Western. Anybody? Okay, how about uh, over the southwest, all the way over in the, the California coast, over there? Yes, anybody? Yes? Okay, we've got one here. Okay, now we also have to go all the way up to the northeast. That would be Maine, New Jersey. Um, anybody over there? New York? All right. 1,800 miles. The west coast, at California, still further away? Somebody's going to have to get on Google and help me out. Man, this is getting a little bit too difficult. Yes. Massachusetts further? Oh, man. Way to know your maps. Way to go. So I, do I have, am I down to two people? We got California and New Jersey. Massachusetts, what? We have another California? I have three California. California, California, Northern or Southern California? All right, were you Massachusetts? 
Massachusetts wins. There you go. Executive decision. How about that? We'll just go for it. All right. Ready? Let's go. The, the person who was the father who was saved the most recent. Father who was saved the most recent. All right. Let's start off with 20 years. 20 years or less. The father who's been saved 20 years or less. Very good. Raise your hands. How about 10 years or less? Do we have any fathers 10 years or less? Okay. We still have a few over here. Um, how about five years or less? Five years or less? Mike's our winner. Very good. How, how many years? It's been right at five. Good job. All right. Very good. Okay. You ready? Dads, this is going to be a tough one. Um, how many of you uh, most recently changed a diaper? Okay. So that's going to eliminate a lot of people, but you've got to change a diaper. Remember, I told a story about a diaper myself last, last time I spoke. So most recently changed a diaper. Let's start off with how many dads changed a diaper on Friday? Okay, good. We got a few. How many changed the diaper on Saturday? Yeah. All right. How about how about change the diaper this morning? I got one, two. I got three, three men. All right, four men. All right, four men changed the diaper this morning. You ready? Let's go down to um, somebody, a man who's changed the diaper in, in the last two hours. <laughs> one, two, three. Man, I should have got more cards. All right, <laughs> 30 minutes. You changed the diaper in the last 30 minutes. Jiminy Christmas. All right. How, how many cards do I have? Do I have enough? I have three left? Sweet. I can give both of them. You both win. If you change the diaper in the last 30 minutes, go both of these guys right here. Very good. All right, just for fun, guys, we like cars around here. Most guys like cars. So here's, here's the challenge. This is open to any man. Any man at this point, is, it's open. We're about to show you a video on the screen. The video is going to be of a car. All you simply have to do is give us the year, make, and model of that car. Whoever does it first, you win $10 to Spring Creek. Are you ready? So begin playing the car. Say it again. 2015 Bugatti or I need you. Yes, that's it. Very good. Say it again, because I don't know what that is. 2015. That's it. All right. Very good. Good job. Way to know your cars. I had no idea. But it looks nice. I want one. That'd be nice. All right. Bring it on. Anybody wants to give me a Father's Day gift, I'll take one of those. All right. Well, thank you for being here. We, uh, we're going to be starting off, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. We are so thankful for our fathers, all that you do. Thank you for what you do in the homes. Thank you for do, what you do with your kids, uh, your grandkids. Thank you for, for being a part of this church. Matthew chapter 18. I'll be honest, this, this message is one of my, I'm, just, I'm really excited about. I've been waiting to give you this message since we started the, the Killing Sin series. And the reason it's, it's important is because over the last few weeks, as we've talked, it's been, there's some, been some pretty tough messages. Let's be honest. Some of it has been very hard-hitting, and, and we talked about getting rid of arrogance and pride in our lives. And then we moved into this idea that everyone's going to be tempted. So as long as you're alive, you will be tempted, and, and you just need to get ready for it. It's, it's here. And then the last message, if you happen to hear, have heard the last message, it was hard, wasn't it? It was tough. It was about making tough choices to do the radical thing, to really get sin out of your life. How are you ready to make the tough choices? And it was hard-hitting. And today, today, we get to introduce hope and grace. 
back into the equation. It's an incredible day. I am so glad that God brought you here today. As we've talked about killing sin and getting sin out of our lives and breaking these habits, one of the things that we have set up here at the church is a program called Celebrate Recovery. And so I've asked Bob and Linda if they would come up here, and they're going to talk with us for just a minute. So guys, why don't you come on up? Um, They help lead our Celebrate Recovery. Would you give them a hand as they come on up? And you guys go ahead and kind of make yourselves comfortable here. Grab you a chair if you can. Yeah, we get a set this time. Last time we had a stand. It wasn't near as comfortable. Now, um, Bob and Linda, um, Bob and Linda have been helped us really get our Celebrate Recovery program up on its feet and really working and running well, and I'm thankful for their leadership. They have been such great leaders, and they have shown such a, a heart for this ministry that God's actually elevated them. They started helping out with other churches and helping other churches establish Celebrate Recovery, and God has continued to move and just open up doors. And now Linda's actually... I'm the state rep for the entire state of Texas for Celebrate Recovery. And so God has blessed her and raised her up into leadership. Yes? I have to correct you. Yes. Well, okay, what is it? not. There are many. Hang on. Thread? You got her volume? There's, okay. there's many state reps in the state of Texas. And I, my area covers from straight down 360, beyond, lower 30, all the way to El Paso. Okay. Just a small <laughs> portion of Texas. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Just a small portion. So she's got, she's helping us out, and I'm really excited for how God is working in her life to really, she goes in to help encourage churches all the way out to El Paso. That's a great area. And then Bob also helps, and they're going around to different places here in the city, and they're doing a lot of work. Now, the reason I ask is because many of us, as we've struggled with sin, as we struggle with temptation, the question becomes, what do we do when we fall, when we fail? And part of the ways, the reasons we have Celebrate Recovery is to help us break the habits, Right? Um, one of your key phrases is what? The hurts helps. What is that? Uh, to break the chains of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. All right. Very good. And so um, can you start us off by introducing yourself like you would introduce at a meeting? Uh, my name is Linda, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who has victory over anger, resentment, depression, codependency, and almost three months of no smoking. <laughs> And currently dealing with a few trust and anxiety issues. Very good. What blows me away is the willingness to be so humble and honest. Because quite often in church we put the mask on, don't we? So Bob, would you introduce yourself the way? Sure would. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm in recovery for anger and control issues. Very good. I'm I'm proud of you guys for both being willing to do this. Now, as we talk about it, I want to kind of hone in on one area specifically, accountability. Do we need other believers? Do we need the believer uh, community with other believers in holding us accountable to really break sin? Do we need it? Do do ladies need it? Oh, yes. Ladies definitely need it. Um, And I have to go first to the reason why we need it, because it's biblical. Um, In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says it Uh, Two are better off than one because they can work more effectively. And if one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone, there's no one to help him. And two people can always resist an attack that one person would defeat one person alone. So that's the main reason why we need it. Women definitely need it. And the reason why I say that is because most of uh, women, all of us, are big codependents. Okay, we're nurturers by nature. We 
want to fix things. We want to help people. We want to make, make sure things are on track. And some of that moves into some control issues, you right. know, because we're used to dealing with things like that. So when we, it gets out of control, we need to have someone to walk beside us because we weren't meant to walk this alone. Very good. So. Now, Bob, what about men? Do men need it or can we, you know, just tough it out and do this whole Christian thing, break habits without other men? Sure, we can tough it out all we want, Pastor, but then again, that's why we have Celebrate Recovery, because when we can't tough it out, we need a place to go. And yes, men need accountability as much as women. Um, I'm not going to say more than women, because a man and a woman are their team, and uh, a man needs another team member, a male, so he can go, he, he can uh, create his own accountability. And what, are, what does a man get out of accountability? One, builds a relationship with God and other Christians preferably an accountability partner. Accountability also helps break the cycle of sin, and it starts the healing. Accountability connects us to God and other Christians at a deeper level, and an authentic accountability can be the very thing that reignites our passion for Christ and his kingdom. So not only doing that accountability, but when we gain accountability, that is what we gain, those four items right there to help our lives. Very good. Now, do, do women automatically just... I want accountability, or do they resist accountability? Oh, no. We don't want anybody telling us what to do, do we? <laughs> um, actually, it's, it's hard sometimes, and I think most of that is there's a couple of things. Fear of rejection, okay? Fear of what other people think about us or what they're, you know. I'm And... I had I have this quote. It's so great. It's coming to celebrate recovery at first. I have done a great job meticulously managing my reputation, and I'm not about to blow it by being honest now. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. Right. So, you know, we come in, and it, like you said, the Sunday Christian and people putting on that face, and you don't want anybody to know your mess. Right. And so uh, they fight it. It's a resistance thing sometimes. And that's just fear of other people, um, what they think of you. Also, uh, again, another one is feeling embarrassed. You know, and we've learned in Celebrate Recovery, it's okay, you know, to say that you have things that bug you. Right. It's not something, and the longer you keep it inside, the worse it's going to get. So, yes, it's hard. You have the fear of rejection and that fear of embarrassment, of being embarrassed by other people and what they think of you, and so it is hard. They resist it. I did. Right. <laughs> it, it, is, it is extremely tough. We do resist it. Mm -hmm. Now, Bob, I, you're a, a, a Marine. You, you're a tough, manly man. You're a man's man, and yet you're involved with, obviously, Celebrate Recovery, but do you find men reject and push away accountability? Yes, and the reason we do that is for three separate re reasons, Pastor. And uh, as men, we're the uh, what we cover. What I refer to as the sheepdogs. We guard our families. We secure our families. We uh, take care of the church. We watch over the church. We are the sheepdogs. So one of the things that men shy away from accountability for is a fear of disapproval. Hmm. We don't want to be told we're weak. We don't want to be told we're less than a man. That leads us right into the pride issue. We don't, want to, we don't want that pride to be destroyed. Yes, we're proud. Unfortunately, pride is one of those sins that God says we need to overcome. And finally, 
one of the biggest issues I see is denial. Now, when a man comes in to a CR and he's ready to, to attack all three of these issues, denial, pride, and their fear of disapproval, the healing begins and the transformation is stunning. Awesome. Well, if you come, uh, are interested in Celebrate Recovery and finding this group of accountability, um, what time do you guys meet? We meet here at the church every Friday from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock with a, what we call Solid Rock Cafe afterwards, which is a fellowship time and a, a great time for us to find accountability partners to walk with us and sponsors and so on and so forth. So we meet right here in the church at 7 o'clock on Fridays upstairs in the attic. And when she said fellowship, that's just a secret code word for food. In our group it is. Yes, yeah, all right, so they're going to be food. In, so in our group if that's it is. the only reason you need to come, just come for the food, and then everything else will happen and take place for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's give them a hand. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Oh, appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, guys, I, I, I really am. I'm very thankful for their willingness to, to be honest and bring authenticity into the church and to help us make sure we're dealing with it. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, you have your Bibles. Would you now stand for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 18. Now let's, go down to, let's go down to verse 10, if you will. Matthew chapter 18, go down to verse 10, and here's what the Bible says. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven there are angels... Always see the face of my Father, who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains, and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, and I am so, I'm incredibly honored to be able to enjoy the love and the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that you have given us. I pray today that truly you would reach down and speak and minister to our hearts and lives. God, for those who have been running from you, God, I pray today they would hear from you. God, from those who are just caught up and they're frustrated because they're involved in the cycle of sin, and they can't seem to break the chains. God, I pray that today that you would pour courage into their lives, and it just restore them and, and bless them. And this morning, I pray that you would lift them up. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. So here's what we have. Jesus starts off, and he gives us a principle. He gives us a kind of a rule, if you will, and he gives us this principle, but he states it in the negative. He doesn't state it in the positive. He states it in the negative, which he's trying to draw attention to the principle, to this rule that he wants us to live by. And when he states it in the negative, then after that, he gives us three examples of why this is important. So the very first part, verse 10, it says this, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Don't despise one of these little ones. Now, remember the little ones we were talking about before. It starts off with Jesus bringing up a child and having a child in front and giving this, this illustration saying, these little ones we need to make sure that we care for and take care of their spiritual lives. And then we begin to understand that as you go through the, the rest of the New Testament from he, here on, the concept is also expanded to not just the little kids, but now it's expanded to those who have trusted Jesus Christ is their personal Savior. They become the children of God. They're introduced into and adopted into the family of God, and now they're considered the children of God. Does that make sense? 
So the expansion goes from, from just these little kids that we're talking about. Let's not offend them. Let's not hurt them. And then now it begins to expand to not hurting and not stopping those who are part of the family of God. So here we go. He says, don't despise. How do we despise? Why would we despise someone who is hurting? Why would we despise someone who has encountered temptation, who has fallen? Why would we despise people who are in a constant state of of failing in their Christian walk? That's a good question, isn't it? I had to stop because I ran over it real quick, and I was wanting to spend the majority of time on this good shepherd who goes out and seeks, but yet I couldn't get there until I began to understand how we as Christians have this tendency to despise. Because we need to understand and we need to hear and we need to understand as a Christian community that what Jesus is calling us to, he made it very clear, it's not to despise those who are hurting, but our role and our job is to actually go out, seek out, love, care for, go above and beyond to those who are falling and who keep falling, to those who are not willing to actually get rid of sin, who are still struggling with sin. We are to love and care for and not despise and push them to the side. Do you see the principle? There's this tendency to look down. And so let me give you four ways in which we despise and we look down on those who are struggling. The first one is, it's pretty simple. It's when we look, look down and we despise and view struggling believers as inferior Christians. Inferior Christians. Maybe what this looks like is this. We see someone who is struggling and you're going, you know what, if you're a better Christian, you wouldn't be failing like that. If you'd read your Bible more, if you would pray more, you would stop failing. And we begin to see them and we begin to create a hierarchy in our minds, that those who are struggling really are inferior Christians to us who are not struggling. And we begin to look down and despise and say, well, obviously you're not as good. Another way we despise is by judging the struggling Christian as unworthy. Unworthy of what? Unworthy of a third chance, a fourth chance. We're willing, we feel like we're really good Christians, really good Christians, when we give somebody a second chance. We all need second chances. But what happens when somebody actually needs a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance? Well, I've already given them enough chances. We're not going to give them anymore. And we begin to despise those who keep coming back because they're struggling. What about this one? We despise the struggling believer when they ignore, when they waste our time or our resources. So we begin to say, wait, I've already given you my money. I've already given you time. I've already spent time with you. And yet you keep wasting my time. You keep wasting my resources. So we push them aside and say, you're not worthy of my time anymore. You're not worthy of my money, my resources, because you keep struggling with that. So as long as you keep struggling with it, forget it. I'll wash my hands of you. I'm done. Now here's the last one that I can come up with. We despise other believers, when we minimize them as weak and unable to handle Christian liberty. Now, let me help you on this one for a second. Paul, in the future, talks about in Romans and then Peter, also in First Peter, they talk about that we are to enjoy our Christian liberty, our Christian freedom. And there are choices in our lives in which we can make that it falls in line with just liberty. I am free to make several choices within my freedom of Christ. And then there's this tension that begins to develop out of there's also those who are weak or those who are going to be hindered, hindered by my freedom. 
And so what happens is this, that what causes me to sin may not be what causes you to sin. Are you following this? But what happens is when we gather a lot of believers together is that we now begin to look across the room and what some people are really strong in, other people are weak in, and what other people are weak in, other people are strong in, and it goes back and forth and we begin to look across. And when we begin to take our Christian freedom with such pride and arrogance that we flaunt our freedom in front of those who are struggling, then we are really truly despising those who are struggling. Did you catch that? Now here's why we have to bring out this principle. Because quite often within church, we despise our fellow believer by the way in which we live when we see that they're struggling and we push them to the side. Okay? So what Jesus is calling us to, he says, guys, I want you not to despise, but I want you to seek out, I want you to love, I want you to care for, and I want you to go to the extreme. When you find people who are struggling with temptation, I want you to go to the extreme. And here's the three reasons why. You ready? Now, the three reasons why get pretty exciting. Look what he says. The very first one is this. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. Now notice a couple of things here real quick. He brings in angels. He says, here's why you don't despise them, because they're angels. Now, who's angels? Notice it's, it's possessive. They're angels. Who's angels? The little ones, the children of God. They're angels. Now, I know this kind of gets a little weird, and we could spend a lot of time on this. But here's where it begins to play out. You ready? In heaven, the angels actually have responsibilities and jobs. Now, they're not all sitting around playing harps. I know that kind of is our image when we start talking about angels. They're sitting on clouds, and woo, and they're singing la-la, and hallelujah, and they're doing kind of, that's what we see them and think of them as. But they're really as, you need to see them as soldiers. You need to see them as uh, battle-ready warriors who are ready to go into battle. And here's what he's saying. He says, here's why you don't despise those little ones who are struggling, those Christians who are failing. Those Don't despise them because there's angels. They're personal angels that have been assigned to them, not to be at our beck and call, but to be at, look at whose face they're looking at. They're not looking at our face. They're looking at whose face. Look at it. It says, they're at attention looking into the face of God, waiting the orders, waiting, they're at attention saying, okay, give us the command. We're ready to go out and to seek after and to help those who are hurting. Do you see it? The reason you don't despise is because the angels are actually ready to go and help. Now, that should give you encouragement. If you find yourself struggling, if you find yourself struggling, to know that not only do you have the Holy Spirit inside you who's greater but you also have the angel, an angel who's actually ready to go into battle for you and with you. Now, give me the second one. You ready? Here's the second one. Here's why you don't despise, not just because of the angels, but number verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountainside? We've heard this story, and we've heard it over and over again, and, and, and it's hard for us to, to get, really understand the importance of it. It was a very common expression for their society because you would see shepherds all over in the hillside. Even last year when I went to Israel, shepherds all over the hillside. And it was just kind of a, a common expression. Everybody would understand the image. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to play this out. See, Jesus is actually called later in John the good shepherd, the one who would actually go out. So Jesus is bringing the attention to and saying, listen, I'm the good shepherd and, and I will also go looking for those who are out there lost. 
who are out of way, who are struggling, who, are, who have gone away from me, who, have, who were a part of this sheepfold, but yet they have lost and they went away. He says the good shepherd actually leaves those 99 and goes out and seeking the one who's hurting. So I was trying to find an illustration or an image that maybe today we could capture and maybe today we could embrace and understand and catch the concept a little bit more. So as I was thinking, I came across, um, I like military stuff, and this is Father's Day, so I thought, ah, we need a military example. This would, this would help us, because we've seen, maybe you've seen Saving Private Ryan, or maybe you just go all the way forward, you've seen even G.I. Joe, or maybe you've seen Transformers, I don't know, but you at least have m- mentally in your mind some, some kind of battle image, right? And you understand hierarchy between the generals who give the commands, and most of the generals never go out into battle, Right? Most of them give commands, and then everybody else goes out. There was a man several years ago in the Vietnam War. Um, his name was uh, Norman Schwarzkopf. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, he, he was given an assignment in Vietnam, and he was given the assignment to take over the 1st Battalion in the 6th Infantry. It was known as the worst of the 6th. And so he was given the challenge to actually turn it around and to make it a viable fighting unit. He begins, and he begins working it through, and you begin to see them gain accolade after accolade. On May 28th, General Norman Schwarzkopf goes out into the field, and um, one of the things that he made a consistent habit was that when one of his men were hurt by a mine, they had stepped on a mine, he would personally go out to the field and to check on the man to help in whatever way he could. So he would leave the base to go out to the field. And most of the time, he would put those men on his own personal helicopter, and they would fly them back, the injured man, back to the hospital to make sure that they were getting the attention they needed. On May 28, 1970, a man was injured. So Norman uh, General Schwarzkopf actually gets into his helicopter, goes out to the field, and as he's out in the field, he sees the man, and the man is still in the field flailing around. He had just been attacked. He's still flailing around. Schwarzkopf said that, I believe the man could survive if only he would stop thrashing. So here's what he states. He said, I started through the minefield, personally, one slow step at a time, staring at the ground, looking for the telltale signs of the bombs or little prongs sticking up from the dirt. My knees were shaking so hard that every time I took a step, I had to grab my legs and steady it with both hands before I could take another. It seemed like a thousand years before I reached that kid. Finally, when Schwarzkopf got to the soldier, he did what only he could think of to do. He was a West Point wrestler, and so in order to stop the man, he took his 240-pound body and slammed on top of the guy and pinned the soldier to the ground, stopping him from thrashing back and forth. He was later able to get the man to his helicopter. Once he got the man to the helicopter, the man survived. He was willing to risk his life to go into the minefield to pick up that lost soldier. The soldier who could not do anything for himself. And the image that we need to catch and the image that we need to understand is this. We don't despise those who are hurting and those who are needing help. Not just because angels were ready, but because our, our commander-in-chief, our Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, is willing to go into battle for us. And when we're gone and when we're helpless and we can't do anything on our own, it's our Savior who went into battle for us. 
Do you see it? What brings us hope is not that we are strong enough on our own. Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody in this room can do it on their own. The only person in this room that can do it is Jesus Christ. And he's willing to go. And now he gives us one last reason. We don't despise the hurting. We seek out the hurting. We go after those who are, who are struggling. The angels, yes. Jesus, our good shepherd, yes. And then he ends with this. You ready? Look what it says in verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus introduced a concept to the disciples. It's a precious concept. Up until Jesus, the entire Old Testament always referred to God as Yahweh. And it was the unmentionable name. It was the name that when the Jews came up to it, if they were going to write it, they had to clean themselves. They would never mention it just forthright. They would never speak it out loud. God was so reverenced and so honored. And Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus introduces this personal concept of who God is. That he's not just some God in the distance, but he's actually your personal heavenly father who loves you and cares for you even when you're out and away and you keep failing and you keep struggling. He says, it's the will of my heavenly father. And Jesus, when the disciples ask his, Jesus, how, to, how do we pray? What does Jesus tell them? You start off with our Father who is in heaven, right? Our Heavenly Father. This is the one in which it's personalized. He says, it's the will of my Father. The reason you seek out, the reason that you don't despise, the reason you love, you care, is because our Heavenly Father is willing to seek out, to go out, to seek after and care for and to love those who are hurting, those who are failing, those who keep failing. Those who don't see, like the, see the light of day where they feel like they could ever get out of their sin. This sin has chained them. The grace of God says, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'll never give, give up on you. There's a, a, a poem that was written in the 19th century by an English uh, writer. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Maybe you've heard of it. It's been referenced throughout history by preachers. It's been referenced by... Um, you name it. It is one of the, the most well-known poems that has been written. When Oscar Wilde read it, he exclaimed, Why can't I write poetry like that? It's incredible, isn't it? G.K. Chesterton, he calls this poem the greatest poem in modern English. C.S. Lewis, when he talks about his conversion story, he talks about how the hound of heaven would not ever release him because it kept chasing him. And it, finally, he kneels the most reluctant of all sinners because he didn't want to give his life. And he, it was this poem that helped, helped bring it in. He said, it was the hound of heaven who kept following me. Now, how many of you are hunters? Any guys in here like to hunt? All right, I'm going to give you my, my hunting story real quick. My first hunting experience, I go out with my dad and... Um, we're, we're going to hunt dove, all right? So I get to have a shotgun, and I remember, I remember walking, and, and one of the things that we had when we would hunt, we would hunt with dogs, all right? So hunting with dogs means that you could let the dogs do the work, and they're working the field, and so we're going out to hunt dove. And as we're watching the dogs work, they had been, we had walked for a little while that morning. I hadn't come up on any kind of animal. I mean, there's just nothing to shoot at. So it's one of those just boring days. And our, our, our Brittany was just working back and forth, and so as she's working, we're, we're sitting there, and I just stand for a moment. And I'm tired. I'm a young kid, and I'm thinking, this is just 
Dad, this was not as you know, much fun. So I put the gun on my hip. So I'm holding the gun up on my hip, and I rest my arm like this, and I'm just standing around, and all of a sudden, our dog comes swooping right into right where we're at, and the next thing you know, dove are flying up all around us. We had been standing right in the middle of the doves, and I had no idea. So all of a sudden, the birds start flying up, and guess what I do with my gun? Shoot it right here into my gut, right? Knock the air out of me, and then everybody else is shooting. I mean, they're having a great time, and afterwards, we're we're getting the birds, and the dog's getting the the birds and my dad was like how many did you get dad I don't know if I got any and I'm still sucking air trying to catch my breath <laughs> he's like what happened to you I'm like dad I just it scared me and I just shot he goes you can't handle a gun you don't need to be out here where's the sympathy right oh wow the hounds are supposed to work and the way the dog works is that they can smell things that you can't smell right They can hear things that you can't hear. And even when you don't think that you're near the game, or you think you've lost track of the game, the the dog is able to keep on scent and on task. So here's how the, the poem starts. I won't read all of it. It's really long. But here's what I'll do. I'll post it tomorrow. Um, for you to be able to read on my blog, all right? Um, Here's what it says. Let me just read this first part. Francis Thompson is the, the writer. Um, He struggled with poverty, poor health. He was addicted to opium his entire life. He never found freedom and never broke free of it. And in his despair, he wrote this poem. And here's what he writes. I fled him. Down the nights and down the days, I flee him. Down the arches of the years, I fled him. Down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. In the midst of tears, from him and under running laughter, I fled I sped from those strong feet that followed. They followed after me. But with unhurrying chase, unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, and majestic instancy, they beat after me. And he continues on. And it's this image of no matter how far you feel like you've gone away, no matter how much sin you have in your life, no matter how lost, no matter how many times you've struggled over and over and you failed and you lost in your temptation and you lost that struggle, my dear friends, please hear that my God has not given up on you. Your heavenly Father is coming after you. He's seeking you. He longs for you to be back in with Him in His family. He loves you. He loves you. And you need to hear it and you need to be reminded of it over and over again. This Heavenly Father loves you today. There's some in this room, maybe you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. You, you don't know what it means to even be saved. Here's what it simply means is this. To be saved, to be restored, to be part of God's family where He forgives you of your sin. It's simply this. That you acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you've done wrong. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, and he was buried, and then he rose again, proving that he could pay for your sins. And then the very last thing is this. You just simply confess. Confess Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, the leader of your life. And if you'd be willing to do that, to give your life to him, what Jesus promises, what this passage promises, is that you'll be forgiven. Because the hound of heaven has chased you down, and he hasn't given up. He loves you. 
You've been running. It's time to come back. It's time to enjoy. You keep failing. It's time today to say thank you for the grace and to experience and ask God for forgiveness once again. Let's find restoration. That's what it's, the message is today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. I pray that you would reach down and you would move as only you can. Father, we thank you for your love. I want to say thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for never giving up. And God, I want to say thank you for how that you love unconditionally, even when we don't deserve it. You still love us. And I want to say thank you. For those today who maybe have felt like they've been running for all those years, today I pray they would be willing to get it right with you. In Jesus' precious name.